0: Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Nintendo Watcher podcast. I'm Justin, joined as always by Matthew. Hey, Matthew, Justin. How's it going? See you again. We've got an interesting topic today, so we're going to jump right in. We're doing something a little bit different. I'm going to hand it over to Matthew to introduce the topic. So
1: we've been talking a little bit here on on the Nintendo Watcher pod behind the scenes, trying to, you know, try out a few new episode formats, get a little bit of structure going here with the podcast to, you know, help, you know, listeners follow along and kind of you know, give them an idea of what to expect week to week with, with a few exceptions. And, and so we thought this week we would try something a little bit new. Um, you know, in previous episodes, we've talked quite a bit about the fact that you and I are not exclusively, you know, Nintendo loyalists. We play a lot of games outside of Nintendo, right? I mean, fair to say in the last, you know, month or so, would you say like what? Probably half your gaming takes place outside of a Nintendo console. Yeah, yeah, it's
0: probably half and half the PlayStation. And, yeah, and,
1: and so, so, you know, one of the things to both, you know, address that side of our interests and, and kind of expand, you know, the maybe some of the... Um, you know some of the information that we can present and and and, you know discuss with with you know fans and and you know listeners and stuff like that is to talk about some of the stuff that we've been playing outside of nintendo and try to you know lay a foundation of you know what kinds of games really resonate with us which games and series we wish would you know make their, their way over to a Nintendo, you know, console at some point, or um, even just series that we think have nice analogs over here on, on Nintendo uh, hardware that you could, you know, get a similar experience once you, you know, if that's something you're looking for. So, yeah,
0: yeah. uh, well, let me say, and also I'm going to pass it right back to you, but the other thing that I've been thinking about with this is, um, you know, Nintendo doesn't exist in a vacuum. Right, like these developers are are learning from each other and are influenced by each other, and I think today's conversation really hits on, um, you know, where that um, where influence ends and where you know inspiration from another game ends, and whenever um, developers can take something they're learning from another development team and and really expand on.
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I think the game we're going to talk about today is one that's, you know, near and dear to my heart. And uh, the reason we're choosing this game for, for this first, what we're calling the Nintendo Watcher Presents The Other Side. That's the name of this this episode format. Um, this will be our, our deep dives into non Nintendo uh, exclusives and, and uh, properties. And and, you know, you and I have talked a lot about your love, in particular of the Dragon Quest franchise um, a series of yeah series of square square enix jrpgs um, you're much more familiar with the series than i am um you know could you say a little bit like why why is this a series that kind of resonates with you what is it about the dragon quest series you know not to put you on the spot but like what about this series you know compared to something like a final fantasy or um you know uh, a persona or something like that uh, shin megami tensei what is it that this series really and it resonates with you in a way that's you know different than those other series.
0: Listeners to this podcast know that we love our JRPGs. Um, we probably talk about RPGs more than any other um, type of game on this podcast, and you know, I love them all. Not a, well, not them all. I love a lot of them. Um, Final Fantasy is one of my favorite game series ever. But Final Fantasy, and I, I like to think about. Dragon Quest in, in terms of Final Fantasy Final Fantasy is always changing mm-hmm. you know um, like every three or four games we'll get a different battle system or um, like like something about the gameplay will change pretty yep. substantially and Dragon Quest has been stubborn about sticking to the same traditional turn based um, RPG that the that, that Dragon Quest 1 yep. was you know I I think that that is a a really appealing thing, you know. With all the action RPGs that are that are being produced today, and those are you know those are great. There's a special place for those, but you know, there's something about this slowed down, simplified, turn based, strategic battle system that I really appreciate. That's not to say that Dragon Quest hasn't um, like updated Mm -hmm. things. Like you know, there was a a, the, the huge shift in moving from random encounters to being able to see your enemies on screen. But I think a lot of that has been um, just, um, you know, things to make the game better, not really changes that are, that are fundamental to how the yeah. game plays. And yeah, so I, that's, that's the thing about Dragon Quest to me. I, I like, I like that it's really stayed true to the, the mm-hmm. NES roots of the, the JRPG. Um, and it, it just—I don't know if if we're going to see something very different with Dragon Dragon Quest Twelve. I know it's supposed to be a much darker game, but Dragon Quest Eleven, particularly Eleven, you can see the parallels directly back to Dragon Quest One, Dragon Quest Two, Dragon Quest Three. Not just in the story, but also in the yeah. gameplay itself. Yeah. So
1: you know, I, I think everything that you're talking about here—you know—the consistency, the you know, um, the willingness to you know, I guess, indulge in traditions of the genre um, and to not shy away from, you know, not feeling the need to innovate in, in, you know, major ways that shake up the, the genre of what we expect when we hear, you know, a JRPG, um, especially a turn-based JRPG. I mean, the spell names have stayed the same. The, um, you know, the, the character interactions are very similar between entries. You know, you get, I think where they maybe experiment the most is with some of the, you know, class system and narrative flourishes. But even there, you know, these are largely, um, you know, Party-based, turn-based JRPGs with a classic hero's tale, um, uh, pretty much to a T. In, in a lot of these, I mean, they don't do yeah in the art yeah. style. The Akira- yeah, they, they've stayed super. Yeah, yep. I mean, yeah, consistent, right? Uh, even when they they you know they adjust maybe the art direction a little bit. The style still stays the same. I'm thinking, you know, Dragon Quest Eight with its sort of more cell shaded look. It still uh, looks and feels like a Dragon Quest game. Um, very noticeable. You know, I mean, even Final Fantasy, I mean, in ways that Final Fantasy hasn't, right? There's a lot of things that are familiar between games, you know, the Chocobos, the and things like that, but even within the series, you know, the Summons, the Mughals, the Chocobos, they've all had very dramatically different alterations of their core design philosophy. Whereas, you know, the enemy encounters in, in Dragon Quest have largely stayed consistent. I mean, a slime is a slime is a slime for the most part. Um, you know, that hasn't changed mm-hmm. a whole lot, um, which I, I respect, right? Um, and I was thinking a lot about that series when I when I you know wanted to pitch this idea for, you know, a different format for the pod because, um, like you, um, there's a series that's very near and dear to my heart. Um, that has you know, a long running series started back in 2006 on the PlayStation 2, um, has continued up through you know the place, you know the, the the PlayStation 5 and, and Xbox One. Um, it's a you know, or Xbox Series X, I should say. Um, and it's it's a series that has largely stuck to its guns for every iteration it's had some spin-offs you know some some uh, weird uh, you know alternate history spin-offs and different gameplay styles and things like that with mobile games and and the like just like dragon quest has had you know the warriors type games the the monster games and all that um, you know but the core games in the series have largely remained unchanged for a long time and that that series is the yakuza series of um, you know i guess a lot of people like to classify these as, as traditional JRPGs, but they're you know, they're they mix, you know, open world games with action beat 'em ups and, and JRPGs in a really interesting way. You know, they're more on the action RPG side of things and with really light RPG elements, but nonetheless, that you know, a lot of JRPG fans are really big into this series, which traditionally has been locked to until recent years to the the sort of PlayStation infrastructure, the Sony side of things, um, with you know the. Only in recent years, maybe the last decade or so, have have those games begun to get fully localized and brought over to the the U.S. to the point where now, um, you know, there's simultaneous release between regions, but for the longest time, you know, entire games in the series just never made its way here. A lot like, you know, Dragon Quest for a long time, right? So, you know, localized over here is Dragon Warrior, right? Um, Until recently, they started kind of unifying that and releasing on a a similar launch schedule. Um, But these games have been uh pretty influential in 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 a lot of ways you know they've they've mixed the, the you know the action beat-em-up with the rpg and the you know soap opera uh level you know crime dramas that these games are um you know it's a series about what it's like to be a, a yakuza in, in many ways you know a member of the japanese yakuza or it, it really i mean the the main character of the series is a you know largely identifies as a, an ex-Yakuza, a former member of the, the Yakuza who just constantly gets dragged back in uh, to these wild uh, events, right? That he can't quite shake, right? No no way of shaking his past. And, and yet the games are very consistent, right? Uh, you know, from series to series, they've largely, you know, been set in a fictionalized uh, Tokyo, um, a, a fictional town by the name of Kamurocho, which is, you know, uh, modeled after a, a, an infamous... Um, Kabukicho, the red light district in Tokyo. Um, you know they've explored other regions of uh, Japan and done you know fictionalized versions of different cities and, and stuff. But largely they take place in one city, um, Kamurocho, in the middle of Tokyo. Um, between the seven games in the core uh, franchise, right? each of them pretty much starts with the same map. A few of them add new locales and expand on those, but um, there's something about asset reuse, and you know you're traversing the same cities with minor differences that feels very reminiscent to me uh, to like a, a Dragon Quest game, right? Where um, so much of the foundation of the core of the game is familiar between entries that you can jump in at any point and feel like you're just picking up where you left off, even if you've never played one of these games before. You know, there's something familiar about them um, just from that perspective. But <clears throat> that series, you know, wrapped up recently, the, the, you know, the original protagonist, uh, Kiryu Kazuma, uh, who starred in the first seven games, if you count the the prequel Yakuza 0, which you absolutely should. It's one of the best games ever made. Um, you know, that series wrapped up recently. And uh, in, I believe it was um, in 2020... Uh, the series went in a pretty radical uh, new direction by retiring uh, Kazuma Kiryu uh, after a a successful um, seventh entry uh, that nice, neatly put a bow on his story um, and decided to go with a new protagonist. But alongside that shift in protagonist from Kazuma Kiryu to um, the new lead of the game, Ichiban Kasuga, uh, the developers over at Sega uh, and, and Ryugo got... Atoku, I'm gonna butcher the name, but um, RGG Studio is what we'll refer to them as because I can't say the name well. Um, the guys over at RGG Studio decided, in addition to you know changing the main character and moving cities to a new uh, you know a new fictional uh, Japanese uh, town, they would change the gameplay from an old school beat em up. Uh, you know, style uh, action RPG to a traditional turn-based RPG a la Dragon Quest or the early Final Fantasies. Um, And when I say that they went with a turn-based RPG, I'm talking straight up, you know, you go, the enemy goes. You go, the enemy goes there's not uh, it's not an ATB system where if you're too too slow to react the enemy acts before you it's you know uh clearly mapped out delineated attack patterns you can idle as long as you want before taking your actions to you know uh, go through your menus do some item uh you know management uh, select your skills and abilities Um, it is as traditional a a turn-based RPG as you get but it's mapped on this modern day, you know, it takes place in 2019. Uh, it, it is mapped onto a very modern day uh, Japan with, uh, you know, a story that is deeply, um, you know, deeply involved in, uh, you know, issues you know, relevant to uh, you know modern day, um, and it just you know it plays with the traditional JRPG in ways that are really interesting and unique um, that I haven't seen done in by many games, and, and so I you know I, I made a claim to you uh, what was it maybe a, a month ago after I beat the game, um, and I, I told you that you know there's there's a game that you need to play. It's called Yakuza Like a Dragon. It just came out, uh, and in my opinion, it is the best Dragon Quest game ever created. Um, this was kind of the spark for this conversation. I know that you are a huge fan of Dragon Quest 11; you hold it in very high regard. Uh, and so I've been I've been pressuring you in recent months to to get your hands on Yakuza Like a Dragon and give it a shot. And so. Today, I think what we're going to do is, you know, um, we're going to talk a little bit about this game. What, uh, you know, what, how you're liking it, what your your thoughts are in the early hours. Um, I'll talk a little bit about my experience with it. Why I think it's, you know, the best Dragon Quest game um, ever created. And, and we'll we'll try to kind of convince the listener that, uh, you know, if you've never picked up uh, a game in this series before. Uh, there's no reason not to start here. And if, you know, if you're only a, you know, a Nintendo loyalist, you don't have access to any of these systems. We're going to also make a strong case, I think, for Dragon Quest XI uh, in the process. So, um, you know, Justin, why don't we, uh, you know, it's a little early in the episode, but why don't we take a little break? When we come back, we'll talk about your first few hours in uh, the best Dragon Quest game ever made.
0: So with like a dragon I was promised the greatest Dragon Quest game ever made yeah
1: hyperbole I'm sure I mean I, I I'm not one uh, you know I'm not one to shy away from hyperbole but um, you know I will say that I, I stand by the fact that it is clearly a Dragon Quest game uh, at its heart um, for more than just you know uh, a few reasons but um, you've had what probably maybe six seven hours with it at this point maybe a little bit less.
0: Uh, yeah, that's probably fair. Probably around six or seven hours. I'm through. I think it just started chapter four, so I, you know, I've I've been with the game for a little bit. I, before we started recording, I was joking with you that I felt like I had watched more of the game than I had actually played. Um, the game is incredibly heavy on uh, the, the, yeah. the narrative side, at least initially. Um, it's it's the The art direction almost seems more like a movie than a yeah, video game. Yeah. Sometimes, uh, I and mean, that's not a criticism; it's it's more of just an observation. Um, but I thought that when you said, you know, you're making the comparisons to to Dragon Quest, I thought that you know I would start playing it and I'd see like, okay, yeah, it's got turn based combat. Okay, it's it's set place and uh, takes place in Japan. All right but I didn't realize that it was so directly related to Dragon Quest. It, like in the first, I don't know, 30 minutes or so, um, <laughs> the protagonist says something like, yeah, I really love the Dragon Quest games. And he's talking about you know being the hero in those games and forming a party with, with uh, different people in it with different jobs. And just the game gets very mm-hmm. meta um, in, in a way that, was kind of shocking to me initially. Yeah,
1: I mean, one of the things that I think is really interesting, you know, about this game is that it, it's not shy at all about its influence, right? I mean, like you said, there are overt references to the main protagonist, Ichiban Casio's love of the Dragon Quest franchise. Um, it's a core part of his backstory, you know, that, that escape into fantasy um, that, you know, colors his worldview in a lot of ways. Um, you know he lives his life by this code of you know being a hero a modern day you know hero from you know a Dragon Quest game he wants to be hero from right the the Dragon Quest series. Um, and you know beyond that being kind of just a framing device for the game you know the 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 hero's you know personality and their their sort of drive right um, through much of the narrative it also serves as, the foundation for the combat system, right, and the justification for why you would be getting into all these random encounters and uh, turn-based battles while just walking the streets of of this you know, this fictional city. Um, you know, in fact, uh, you know how how are you feeling about the um, the the combat itself. You've done a little bit of the combat, like you said, the early hours are very story heavy, right? It's doing a lot of work, you know, first game in the series since, you know, the retirement of a seven game long arc. So obviously it's got a lot of groundwork to lay, right? It's got to introduce a whole new uh, lead, new city, um, new story arc, right? Um, So there's a lot of foundational work being done in those early hours, but the gameplay does, you know, uh, make an appearance pretty early on um, with, you know, the, the, the main character you know, engaging in these, these turn-based battles um, with some pretty wild enemies. I mean, uh, you know, what, what are your thoughts on the initial, the initial feel of the game as far as the, the turn-based combat goes?
0: You know, with, with this game, I can't separate the combat from how good the PlayStation 5 controller is. Yeah. And I, I think it comes down to those, like, micro-vibrations that happen whenever you attack an enemy or mm-hmm. you are attacked. Um, like, it, the turn-based combat feels really good, I think, in part because it feels like there's weight yeah. behind it. Um. Like when you do a, a, a skill attack, a heavy punch for something, for example, um, it feels much heavier than a normal attack because the controller is giving yep. you this haptic feedback. Um, I you know I love straight up basic turn based combat. Uh, we've talked about this a lot with different games, and you know I, I just I like being thoughtful about combat. Um, it's sometimes it feels a little bit like you're, you're just button mm-hmm. pressing. Um, but in a game like, like a dragon, you can't really button press. One of the things that shocked me about this game was when you're choosing the enemy you want to hit, and this is all happening like, like on a, um, basically wherever you start your, your encounter, it, it's, it's, it's a, a, a battle scene that's, that's sort of like where, where you mm-hmm. entered the encounter. But if you're trying to attack a character and another character is standing in the way, they can block yep. your attack. So it it just like you can't just mindlessly button press, okay, just because I know that, you know, bad guy number two is gonna attack next, I have to attack him. You really have to pay attention to where your character is in relation to everybody else on the battlefield. And um, I, yeah, it's just it it feels like the whole battle system is, very um i'm trying to think of the right word here like it's got weight to it which which you know feels really good number one but also um just makes you think about where you are in relation to these other Mm -hmm. characters and how you can end battles the most quickly like what in, in the same way that with other turn based combat, it's sort of obvious, you know, I hit this guy then I hit that guy and then I don't give them a chance to attack. You can't really do that in like a dragon. You have to be very cognizant of, OK, well, if he stops my attack and then I get knocked on the ground and then they get another hit because I'm stunned on the ground, that, that could be yep. game over yeah. for me.
1: Um, you know, one of the things that I think it does is this, this kind of, you know, you're talking about the haptics of the, the controller, the weight of, of combat in this game. And, you know, um, that's something that I've always felt, um, you know, again, just to bring it back to the, the Dragon Quest series briefly, because I, I do want to make this connection, you know, a little more clear is, you know, something I've always enjoyed about the Dragon Quest games is that, you know, in most entries of the series, you know, the perspective is, um, you know, direct look at the enemies, right? In combat, you just see the enemies' portraits. Um, you don't see your characters. So this, you know, that that connection between you and the enemies is made more immediate, right? There's, there's something about a closeness in a Dragon Quest game because of that first-person combat screen um, that I've always really felt in, uh, Dragon Quest combat, and, you know, that combined with the really crisp, really meaty sound effects of, you know, like a spell like Sizz, right? When you toss a, you know, a fire spell or something like that, the screen flashes, the screen shakes, the ways that it kind of um, uses the, you know, the attack animations to convey um weight and heft along with you know these really crunchy sound effects um has always been like a something that shines in the dragon quest games um you know their sound direction has never been something you know with the exception of maybe dragon quest 11's you know early soundtrack uh, the sound direction of you know combat stuff has always been a real strength of that and it's really lent a weightiness to um a pretty simplistic combat system which i would argue that you know yakuza like a dragon really leans into that um you know, that Dragon Quest staple of a few core options for each class. Like, you kind of know within a a couple of rounds how a particular character or character class is going to play. Um, There aren't a ton of surprises as you level up, right? Like, the the focus of each character and what their role in combat is pretty well delineated for uh, the user, right? And the options are pretty minimal, but the way that the party um, kind of, plays together, right? The way that certain, uh, you know, units uh, emphasize others, you know, the importance of status, you know, up and status down effects, um, in addition to, you know, knowing who your healer is and how to place your, you know, your attacker in a way that maximizes that potential is something that I think um, it really takes from uh, the Dragon Quest series. And that Dragon Quest has always done really well, right? Where there's no question of what role each person plays. And, even though on the surface the combat's very um simplistic there's a lot of depth when you dive into the systems and the the options right however minimal they may be build and stack on each other really well
0: yeah absolutely it's it's also interesting to me how the game um has you build Mm -hmm. your party you know it's 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 a lot like Dragon Quest where, you know, you start off and you're by yourself and you're learning how the protagonist attacks, um, how the battle systems work, how to get healed outside of battle. Like You're learning all those basic things before you start adding mm-hmm. on um, new characters, yeah. right? And uh, you know, it, it reminded me a lot of uh, Dragon Quest Eleven, where, you know, initially you're, going to heliodor and you run into eric but i mean you could have been playing for for four five six hours before you ever run into eric you know it's it's um like a dragon i don't feel like there's there's as much to do outside of the story at least initially you're gonna be you're gonna be very surprised uh, in a little bit here yes really we'll
1: talk about this but
0: this so I feel like the map keeps you pretty constrained, at least initially, you know, places you yeah. can't go, things you can't see. So it kind of funnels you towards your first party member. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really fun. Um, I, I enjoy the battle system. Like I said, I like the heft of the battle system. I like all the fourth wall breaking stuff. Like at the end of a battle, when you're you're seeing how your your stats have been boosted, if you get to a new level, um Ichiban says, Hey, I've gained a new level, I've gotten yeah. stronger, or something like that. It's just like a stupid little quip he does. Um, but yeah, I I, yeah. I love all that. So, stuff. like
1: one thing about the, the the quips and stuff is like you said earlier, there's kind of a meta layer to this game, right? That ties it more directly to you know the Dragon Quest series, and that's that in combat, um, and this gets commented on more directly later on, um, you know, this this self-awareness that Uh, Ichiban has, that he is the hero in his own story, that these battles are taking place and these really, you know, these really meaty challenges that he's facing on his road to becoming a hero are all kind of up in his head. Um, You know, he, he envisions himself encountering, you know, a businessman clad in, you know, batting gear with uh, a shield made out of a trash can lid when re- in reality it's just a normal dude in a in a suit that he's fighting right and uh, everyone else in his party right just sees you know a, a thug from from the street whereas Ichiban sees you know uh, a, a ninja uh, with you know deadly throwing stars uh, attacking the party right like there's this this element of make-believe that that uh, and childish kind of Mystery in in Ichiban that uh, can't be snuffed out, right? The, that kind of comes to the forefront and is is depicted in the game as these these really fantastic, you know, um, random encounters and and uh, you know run-ins with side characters and with side quests and things like that that really flesh out and balloon out into this really you know this this fictional world that he's living in, uh, but feels so immediate and so real to you know the player because it's it's played off as just this is what you're seeing um even though the game constantly reminds you hey this is this is all in his head right this is this is not what is really happening
0: um yeah we we should talk a little bit about um ichiban's arrested development sure sure Uh, so uh no spoilers but um at the beginning of the game he is um uh, I was gonna say framed, but it wasn't really framed. He took responsibility for a murder, and he goes to jail for eighteen yeah. years. I yeah, think Matthew? That is that 18 right? Eighteen or twenty, or 20 years. So, um, and that all happens like within the first hour of the game, hour and a half. So you're playing as this protagonist who is locked up in his, you know, late teens, early twenties, and he doesn't really mature between then and eighteen years later. So he he comes out of prison um he doesn't know his self this you know as childish as he went in yeah <laughs> yeah and and like you're saying like like you are seeing this game through his his perspective's like even down to the turn based battles you know like in reality those those aren't happening that's just how he's imagining um, th- th- this combat happening it's um yeah it, it's just really interesting again comparing it back to um, comparing it back to Dragon Quest, where we have typically um, you know, these younger protagonist characters who it's, it's on their shoulders to save the world. They are um, carrying the, the, the mm-hmm. light and um, you know, trying to save the world. And here you have this, um, I mean, basically a, a mafia yeah. member, right? Who is obviously on the wrong side of the law, who thinks that he's the hero of the story,
1: and um, I don't know. I just yeah. I just think that's well, really. I interesting. think it's too because you know you talk about you know the the weight that he feels the 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 kind of. Um... You know, duty he feels to you know his his uh, his bosses and and um, you know the the older generations family. and stuff, right? That he feels like he's carrying a torch, right? And I think that's something that a lot of the Dragon Quest games themselves deal with, right? This this passing of generations, the passing of responsibility from um, you know one generation to the next, you know, with these young heroes who are meant to step into the role of you know the future hero. And oftentimes, you know, becomes the king or, you know, the the leader in, in some ways uh, as the games progress and as you come to the end. Um, you know, this is a pretty common trope in in that, the, you know, the the growth, development and, and the passing of, of, you know, from one generation to the next, which is, I think, especially poignant and, and one of the reasons that they chose to make Dragon Quest a large foundation for this game is in many ways, Ichiban is the the heir, the one meant to carry the torch from the Kiryu Kazuma games, right? I mean, it's a new generation of the Yakuza franchise from everything from combat to story to main lead and all of that. And, and it plays out in the traditional JRPG, um, you know, hero's journey in a lot of ways, which I think is really cool um, and fits the series really well. Because one thing, and I don't know how much you've noticed this yet, um, that... You know, the Yakuza series, more than I think any series is, is known for, is the tonal um, kind of whiplash that you can experience in this game. I mean, you're only in Chapter 4, oh, yeah. so the you know, the side quests haven't begun to open up yet, right? But something that this series is really sort of, I guess, almost infamous for is the fact that the main narrative tends to be pretty um, pretty emotional, pretty heavy. Uh, you know, a lot of, you know, double crossings, triple crossings, murders, betrayals, um, you know, uh, loves and and losses and things like that. Um, And then you'll get a um, side quest where you have to help a a, a guy who plays a, um, you know, fictional superhero chase down his wig, um, you know, before it gets away. Or, um, you know, get a, a guy some toilet paper because he's been stuck on a, in a porta potty for eight hours with, with no toilet paper and uh, he's in a very precarious situation. I mean, this is the tonal whiplash that these games are known for and it, it, you know it is dramatic in some cases. Some really fleshed out, very deep side quests are comically, you know, overwritten and hyperbolic in, in, in their presentation. Um, in a way that in most games just wouldn't work, but I think works really well for this series. Um, and I think Ichiban, as as like you said, this kind of um, you know uh, character in Arrested development really um, highlights and, and uh, you know plays into it in, in a really interesting way. Yeah, you're
0: absolutely right. Some of the just even early game, um, the the main story feels mm-hmm. so heavy and you know, it's, it's very dramatic and it is emotional. I mean, it's, it's like at one point my jaw kind of dropped, um, even early on. Cause I was like, wait, what? Um, I think think you know the part that Mm -hmm. I'm talking about. Um, but early on, like there, there's some big twists early on. And that's juxtaposed with this side character who you run into on the way to a restaurant to, to complete. You know, one of the main missions in the game, and this character you saw her before um, you went to prison, and she was a drunk and she smoked, and now eighteen years later, in, in twenty nineteen, she owns a healthy food store and she's given yeah. up liquor and alcohol and tobacco, yeah. like everything. And you know, it's just like that that crazy whiplash from um, this the super dramatic plot juxtaposed with the silly side quests that you're talking about and also this just relentless parodying parodying of um like 21st century um world right like everybody's on a smartphone and ichiban doesn't really know what to do with that when he gets out of prison he's looking around everybody's looking at their phones and he he doesn't even know how to use a smartphone like one of the things that you you do um early on in the game after you you get out of prison is learn to use a smartphone and it's, uh, you know, I, I think Dragon Quest actually does that to a not nearly the same extent. But again, another connection to Dragon Quest, Dragon Quest XI, just for example, I mean, you are the luminary, you are the one who's going to bring light to the world. And yet at the same time, you know, you're you're palling around with these these characters in your party, like like Veronica, for example, who. Her growth is stunted, and she's she's a kid, and she you know acts like a kid. Um, oh no, it's just it's it's an interesting balancing of you know you've got your. It's more than just um, comedic relief; like it is an mm-hmm. intentional um, counterweight to well, how your heavy first, the story. I mean,
1: is. To, to go to party members. I mean, your first official party member, the you know, the one that sticks around for for the initial showing is. His, his character class is hobo, right? I mean, he, he lives right. in a homeless camp. Um, his weapon is an umbrella, and he attacks with pigeons. Um, you know, this is your, your caster. Um, he's, he's, he's essentially a pigeon mancer, right? I mean, that is, that is his, his role in the party. Um, your, your second character that you receive, I'm not sure if you've gotten there yet. I mean, you've met him, so I'm not, this isn't really spoiling anything, is a, a, a disgraced former cop, uh, who takes on the role of an enforcer. Um, you know, uh, you know, you end up with, with all kinds of, you know, hosts and hostesses, uh, gamblers are the character. Like it's, the, the game doesn't take itself very seriously, even though the main story Is definitely delivered in a very serious manner you know there's a lot of levity in there um intentional levity right that that i think plays into that you know the childlike wonder of, of a jrpg right i mean which are games largely targeted at younger audiences whereas the yakuza games are you know Absolutely targeted at older audiences, right? These are games meant for a mature audience. They're meant for, um, you know, adults, not, you know, not children in a lot of ways. I mean, that's kind of the design philosophy behind the series is, is to be, you know, an adult focused, you know, dense crime drama, like series of crime dramas, um, though. You know i think the side quest and everything makes them play out more like really elaborate soap operas um, in a way that's really fun and, and fascinating um, and it's a whole nother you know discussion but um you know you were talking about the kind of rigidness and the the sort of um, structure of the game in the in the early hours and um one thing i just want to say is if if we look at my runtime for the game uh, when i beat this game Um, I had clocked 101 hours into the game. Now, at least 40 of those hours were spent on side content. And I'm not just talking side quests. I'm talking mini games. There There is something that the Yakuza series does better than any video game series. I feel... I feel strongly saying that this without you know i don't think there's any argument for people that have played these games is that they understand side content and mini games better than any developer out there right these games like i said they often reuse assets they're set in the same locations for a long time and so one side effect of this is the team has so much time to focus on the narrative and all of the side stuff to populate and make the city feel new each time you experience it, right? So over the years, they've developed a really strong side quest ethic. Um, by the time you finish this game, or you know, even before that, you know, by the time you get to, you know, maybe fifteen hours in, you'll have the option to, you know, gamble. There are there's poker games. There's pachinko. There's um, blackjack, right? Uh, there's go. Uh, there's all kinds of different uh, gambling halls and experiences, which is you know a a tradition of the Dragon Quest series, right? The casinos are in most Dragon Quest games. Um, there is an explicit callback to the puff puff, which is um, an infamous uh, Dragon Quest side, uh, you know, uh, side quest that you can do where you um, are given a puff puff by a, a woman or, or strong gentleman in various cities throughout the world. Um, that makes a showing in uh, like a dragon, um, and there's Mario Kart. I mean, Mario Kart is is essentially in this game. Um, along with batting cages and uh, several other you know, side quests that you could do from darts and, and, and others. Uh, the main one, though, that I spent maybe 30 hours in was a essentially a, a business management simulator um, that was just spreadsheets, and I spent 30 hours doing that minigame. Uh, I kid you not. Uh, by the time I finished the game, I had spent 30 hours on a single minigame. I do not play minigames in most games that i play Um, there's something about this game that does it better than just about anything out there Uh, the way it ties it into the narrative um, in fact that mini game you know not to not to necessarily this isn't necessarily a spoiler because if you don't play it you'll you'd never find this out Um, there's an extra party member you can get by completing that mini game um, and she can only be achieved if you complete it. Um, she's not necessary to the game; you can beat it without her. She really doesn't play much into the story at all because of that. Um, but her side quest and the way that she's developed through this mini game is really compelling. You know, and that happens with a lot of the side stories in this. You know, one thing that Dragon Quest has always really done is made you care about your party members. You know, maybe not the earliest entries in the series, but I think the later ones, especially you know, especially eight and eleven, are the two that you know most come to mind. Um, really did a great job building out and making you care about your, your side characters. And that's something that this game you know does really well and that the Yakuza series as a whole has always done. Um, not just main story side characters, but side quest characters, right? Have really fully fleshed out narrative arcs that you won't experience unless you dive into that, you know, secondary element of the game. Uh, that, that wholly optional, you know, uh, element of it. Yeah,
0: that's. Know, I'm thinking back through like all of my Dragon Quest history, and you know, making you care about the characters. Like literally in Dragon Quest V, your party members are your family. You know, and I, it, that seems like an interesting connection here, um, just because of all of the familial um, themes, and uh, not necessarily the the party members themselves, but just the the theme of being part of a family and. Um, you know, trying to honor your family anyway. Um, Matthew, I'm, I'm curious since, since you've played this mm-hmm. game a lot and this series a lot, you've said that, you know, half jokingly, right? That, that this is the best dragon quest game. Maybe it's, maybe it's the best dragon quest game right. never made, you know? Um, I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot here as we, we wrap up this conversation and, um, I mean, feel free to add whatever you want, but I, I really want you to talk a little bit about what what does like a dragon add to Dragon Quest? Like, it takes a mm-hmm. lot from it, and it it plays with a lot of conventions. It has fun with them. What do you think it it adds to it? What do you think it does better, or does you know differently yeah. enough that uh, it, you know, it's worth.
1: Taking a moment, and really so, thinking about. I think a couple of the things that we've touched on already are things that this does that I would love to see in a future, you know, Dragon Quest game. I mean, we've talked a little bit about Dragon Quest Twelve, just you and I, not really on the pod yet, but you know, there's rumors that this will be the game in the Dragon Quest series that really starts to do something different with gameplay, that really starts to push it in new directions that the series hasn't gone yet, um, and and bring it to a darker tone as well you know maybe the first game to really grow up with its audience if you will right um and I think that's the blueprint that like a dragon offers to Dragon Quest I mean I don't expect a Dragon Quest game to ever be set in the real world right I don't expect it to to be you know uh 2022 Japan that we're playing in Dragon Quest 12 you know that's unrealistic and it doesn't fit you know with the series aesthetic or its goals but at the same time I think the way that this story ties into anxieties that are so relatable um, to you know, despite the fact that this game is just wild in its narrative. I mean, it's 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 completely unrelatable in in a lot of ways. But the the challenges, the fears, the anxieties that Ichiban struggles with throughout the game are very human, um, and they're portrayed with a seriousness in and in a, you know, uh, a, a level of care um, that I'd like to see the Dragon Quest series explore a little bit more. Um, I think that, you know, 11, you know, the, you know, not to, I don't know, is it okay to talk 11 spoilers at this point? Are we far enough into, you know, the, you
0: know, I, I, I mean, think so. Um, just spoiler alert right here. If you haven't played Dragon Quest XI yet, uh, skip for you know three or four um,
1: minutes. You know the the moment where um, oh gosh, what is her name? Sorry, it's been a, a bit since I've played it. The uh, Veronica, right, where Veronica passes right in the main story. Um, you know, it hits really heavy because this is a character that you've, you've come to really know and, and care for. Um, and yeah. And, and so, you know, her, her sacrifice, her death, right. If you will, um, is really affecting, right. It's a really deep, you know, heavy moment in a game that largely, you know, um, even when it's going dark, still feels pretty light, if you will. Right. I mean, I think that the, the, you know, the post, you know, the, the mid-game kind of um, turn, a la, you know, Final Fantasy VI's Dark World, or you know, whatever it is, um, is is definitely brings the tone down a little bit. But it, I don't think it ever really embraces the more mature themes that it that it wants to touch on and wants to to play with. And I think that Yakuza does that in a way that's really fascinating. I also think that there are some gameplay elements that I would love to see, like you know. They've started to embrace the you know enemies on screen in recent Dragon Quest games. Uh, you, know, you, can, you can see your enemies before you encounter them. I'd love to see more of the use of space um, in, in a Dragon Quest game. I think that that's an element of turn-based RPGs that, you know, other games have done this in the past. This isn't new to the genre, um, but it's something that still feels very traditional but adds a layer of complexity and strategy to it um, that I think Dragon Quest would benefit from to kind of you know age up the the combat a little bit without taking away what just makes it you know um, the perfect game to play before bed. You know, um, these are mm-hmm. elements that I think that. Um, where where like a dragon really shines it still feels like a bedtime game you can sit down with it before bed play for a couple hours because it's you know narrative heavy the combat is not uh, all that you know demanding Um, and it's just a nice story with a lot of you know nice little side quests and distractions if you want to engage with them Um, but it doesn't demand too much of the player at any time um, and that's something I think that Dragon Quest has always done really well. Has just felt like a great game to pick up and play for a couple hours or an hour at a time, and put it down before bed um, without feeling like you're, you know, ramping up for the night. And so I'd love to see Dragon Quest, you know, twelve, do a little bit more with the, the older audience that clearly loves the series and has been with it for such a long time.
0: Just to add to that, I think that the, the chapter model, the, I mean, it's, it's not new to, to Like a Dragon, right? Yeah. Like lots of RPGs that have, have been doing this chapter um, plot progression um, for a long time, but I think Yakuza, Yakuza does it really well. Um, but sometimes even in Dragon Quest XI, as much as I love that game, and I think it really is like the perfect Dragon Quest game, um, s- just such a celebration of the franchise's history as much as I love it, it it's parts of it just feel like you're just plodding along and you don't really know am I in the middle of a, 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 a story arc right now or am I just beginning something and I think some sort of structured um, system like a chapter a structured chapter system like you have and like a dragon would help the game move a little more smoothly and like, just give you a sense of where you are in the yeah. story. I think that that's, it's such a good um, storytelling mm-hmm. device because it, I mean, it feels yeah. like you're reading a book, right? It, it feels like, hey, I'm gonna, I'm like you were saying before bed, I'm gonna sit down, and I'm gonna play one chapter of, of this JRPG. And I know there are 20 chapters. So in 20 yeah. nights I can be yeah. finished. But sometimes it just feels like, man, Dragon Quest is just going to keep going and going and going.
1: Yeah, I also want to say, you know, with that in mind, you know, similarly, I think one thing that Dragon Quest has always done really well, especially in recent years, uh, or I should say, not always, but in recent years, um, has been its story recaps, right? The way it it, it reminds you of yeah. where you're at, your progress, and what's going on next. I think the chapter system um, is one that really lends itself well to that with, like, recaps and, and refreshers. It gives you these nice... Static breaks in the narrative um, that let you kind of reevaluate, you know, reassess where you're at and plan for the next kind of chunk um, in a way that's really immediate And I think, you know, I think you're really going to see that this is a, is you know you're already noticing it, but it becomes even more of a strength of this game as you get into the more open world segments, which you're approaching. I mean, you're in chapter four, you're approaching the part where the game really opens up and kind of gives you free reign of the city. There's just so many systems early on that it does really restrain you because otherwise you you'd miss so many things uh, but i think you're getting to the point soon where you're about to get you know sent out and at that point you know having that episodic structure really does um really does help keep the game fresh and allows you to kind of step away from a while and come back to it without feeling like you've missed too much and i think that is something that um, i'd like to see more games adopt just in general
0: When do I get the air? You know,
1: that's not till quite late game, but uh, when you get it, you'll know. It's it's very good. It's a very good moment.
0: You'll know. Okay. I I think maybe we should leave our our Like a Dragon conversation there and take a quick break. We'll come back with our game recommendations of the week.
1: And we're back. Their game recommendations of the week. Justin, what are you playing? No, I want Matthew. I want you to go first this week. What are you playing? What do you got?
0: Okay, I, this is I, this is not something I'm playing lately, but I think it fits really well with the theme of um, our our conversation during this podcast. I'm going to recommend. <laughs> I can't remember the name of the game now. But it's the mini-game. It's the mini-RPG within um, Eastward. I haven't
1: played Eastward yet. I can't help you on this one.
0: You can't help me? Okay. There is, inside of Eastward, um, one of the things that that the, the game keeps coming back to is this arcade machine. And throughout the world, um, there are all these arcade Earthborn. machines set up. Earthborn. That's it. And... Uh, it's it's basically a dragon quest clone a turn-based dragon quest clone even the the main character from that game looks just
1: like um, the oh, protagonist yeah. the hero from I'm dragon quest at it right right uh, that seems like straight plagiarism
0: it, it it does it really does i can't remember what the names of the spells and stuff are but they are really really close to the dragon quest series and it's it's another homage to how, how great that game is that, that series is, and especially the first three games in it are. It's um, you know, it's it's a good way to break up um, eastward, because that's just a long action RPG that that is good. Uh, we've talked about it on the podcast before, um, but it is really fascinating to me that they built an entire yeah. JRPG into this game that has its own plot that's totally unrelated to um the main game's plot huh. and you could you could sink i think somebody i read online around the time the game came out somebody sank like 15 or 20 hours just into uh, wow. earthborn
1: so it's a chunky it's a chunky little so, little mini game
0: it is it is they they literally built a a small uh, RPG into the game. It's just, again, another, um, another artifact of, of just how influential Dragon Quest is, not just on, um, you know, traditional turn uh, games like, like a dragon, but um, everywhere that this was a game that, um, you know, the first Dragon Quest truly was the first console Turn-based RPG, if I'm not mistaken,
1: I believe it. Yeah, and so, yeah, and so
0: everything else just flows from there.
1: Very nice, very nice. I mean, yeah, I I want to play Eastward at some point, but um, you know, if, when I get to it, I'll I'll make sure not to pass up on on that particular uh, mini game.
0: It's a good one. If if you've if you've played Dragon Quest three, it, it'll feel very right, familiar right. to you.
1: Well, then so my recommendations this week i'm gonna i'm gonna start with just three quick hits uh if you've you know enjoyed our conversation and you're looking for uh something to scratch that 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 yakuza like a dragon itch and you don't have access to that game in particular but you gotta switch you got a couple options obviously if you're interested in the dragon kart mini game that i mentioned from yakuza like a dragon pick up mario kart right just do it it's fun you'll love it uh the other option is Play the 16-bit version of Dragon Quest XI. Just do it. It's it's a fun Ooh, it's a fun little a uh, you know throwback. Uh, I think in some ways more appropriate for Yakuza than the actual 3D uh, Dragon Quest XI. And then lastly, uh, Kairosoft has a series of wonderful uh, management mini you know games, uh, you know, game dev story and and the like. Uh, pick up one of those and play that for a handful of hours. You'll you know get lost in it and you'll have a great time. But my real recommendation this week, and a game that I think that, you know, if you are a fan of narrative-heavy games, if you're a reader, if you like sci-fi, if you are into tabletop RPGs, you know, I went into this year... With a pretty good idea of where my you know my top games were gonna be, what games would you know to hit my top three at the end of the year on you know across all consoles and things like that, um, I was not expecting this game. Didn't even know about it. wasn't on my radar. Um, it is a recent release, I believe, on pretty much everything out there um, called Citizen Sleeper. Um, this is a narrative first tabletop style RPG game in which you play as a a sleeper, which is essentially a human consciousness downloaded to an android's body. Um, You have escaped the manufacturer who keeps you uh, whole and provides the drugs you need to uh, maintain access to your body before it deteriorates. And you wake up on a strange space station with no connections no recollection of who you are and you need to basically build a home or escape and find a new life somehow um, while combating poverty uh, a deteriorating body and the struggles of uh, you know having a place to sleep at night um, it's a fantastically written game. Uh, truly some of the most affecting writing I've, I've ever experienced in the medium. I don't say that lightly. Um, I think that, you know, I've talked before about my love of uh, Disco Elysium and visual novels, games like that. Um, this has a bit more gameplay heft than some visual novels out there, um, but it's closer to a visual novel than it is to a, an RPG or an or a, um, adventure game, I think. Um, it, it's just, you know, I think it's got eight endings. You can see most of them in a single playthrough just because you can kind of restart wherever you left off and continue on. Um, Really, really great game. I don't want to say too much to spoil it other than to say that um, I'll be writing a a review of this, and I'm probably going to try to get it up by end of week, but um, truly one of the best games I've I've maybe ever played. Um, Six hours, maybe, to see most of the endings. Worth your time. a little on the pricey side, if you know that's you know if you're not feeling you know thirty ish dollars for six hours of gameplay, I think that's perfectly fair asking price for the level of quality in this game. But um, you should check it out if you're at all interested in any of the things I've talked about. It's um, uh, you know it has this very addictive gameplay loop of kind of uh, days broken up into what are known as cycles. You get five dice when you wake up if you're at full you know capacity. Um, you the amount of dice you get on each cycle you know, lowers if you're hungry or you're deteriorating. Um, and yeah. eventually, you know, uh, each cycle, you get to this loop where uh, you tell yourself, I'll just spend my dice and then I'll, I'll do one more cycle. You know, spend my five dice on five different events that I can do. Um, after those rolls are done, I'll sleep for the night. I'll do one more cycle and then I'll just I'll put the game down. I, I told myself that at 9 p.m. on, on Sunday um, and at 11.30 p.m., Uh, I was still an hour away from putting the game down. So, um, very addicting, very easy to lose some time in, and and totally worth your time. Yeah, I I had
0: no idea that game came out, didn't know anything about it until you mentioned it. Um, Is that an indie developer? um, developer? So,
1: it's from what I understand, it is largely the work of one individual. Um, Though the character art um, and, uh, you know, character art, Soundtrack and a few, you know, uh, QA stuff uh, are are from a fair, a couple other, um, you know, helpers. But it is largely the work of one developer known as Jump Over the Age. That is a one-person development team. Um, they did another game, another narrative-heavy game called In Other Waters, um, that came out in 2020. That looks really good. I I've picked it up because I loved uh, I didn't Sleep so much. I don't have much to say about it other than I know it's a you know. A narrative-heavy experience like this is, um, but I, I recommend checking it out. That is again Citizen Sleeper, uh, you know, really the work of one person, you know, minus soundtrack and, and character art, but um, a, a fantastic indie experience for anyone who's really into you know sci-fi and narrative-heavy games.
0: Yeah, that sounds awesome. I can't wait to read your review of it. I think that does it for us. We're going to leave it there. Thanks for listening. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks for subscribing. We'll be back in your feed next week. See you guys then.